0: you
1: Morning to praise and worship God the Father Almighty in the triunity of the persons of God, His Son and His Spirit, the Maker of heaven and earth, who is good, who is wise, who is gracious, who is kind, and who is loving. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. At the beginning of chapter 10 of 2 Corinthians, There is an almost jarring transition. I do agree with the chapter division at chapter 10 because Paul just suddenly changes topics. And the topic remains consistent for the last four chapters of this book. After he has talked about this ministry of supplying service to the saints at Jerusalem, he closes with thanks be to God for his indescribable gift And then suddenly, at chapter 10, verse 1, he throws down the gauntlet. And for the next four chapters, he is just hammering away at the Corinthians for their willingness to accept every wind of doctrine. And there were apparently, in Corinth, other people who called themselves apostles, who said that they were sent from Christ and yet they were preaching something very different than what Paul preached. I'll show you in a minute. They are apparently Jewish. And so that gives you some idea what they were probably preaching. When you look at the book of Galatians and you see the Judaizers that came in behind Paul, you see that their modus operandi was to come in and say, well, yes, Paul has given you good theology, but you need more than that. You need to go beyond the simplicity of what Paul said, and you have to add some amount of legalism in order to make the gospel actually work, in order to know that you're really saved. And Paul, just like he did in the book of Galatians, is going to use some of his most vicious language on these false apostles, who he is sometimes going to call eminent apostles sarcastically. Because they're the ones who boast about themselves and carry on about themselves. And then they add to that, but you know, Paul, even though his letters are weighty, when you get around him, he's kind of crude in speech and he's not very good looking and he's kind of meek and he's... And so Paul is going to argue from this point forward in the book that, yeah, he's trying to be meek and tender and gentle when he's around them, but that his letters are purposefully weighty because he has an authority that these other false apostles simply don't have, and that if he were to ever sort of level them with this authority that he has— that the power and authority would actually do damage to them. And so he's coming to them in kindness and in loneliness. And then he's going to separate himself from the false apostles by saying that he has had spiritual circumstances and events in his life that designate him specifically by Christ as the apostle. And these other Johnny-come-lately apostles are building on foundations that he's already laid and so he's saying i never did that i never built on some other man's work in fact he stresses the fact that his domain his realm in which god gave him authority stretches all the way from the middle east all the way over to Macedonia. And if you look in the back of your Bible at some of the maps of the missionary journeys that Paul was on, you'll see that the furthest distance he had to travel was to get all the way over to Achaia and all the way over to the Corinthians, past Macedonia. And his expectation was that the folks in Corinth were then going to support him and send him on his way so that he could go even further, so that he could expand his realm of influence. But they didn't do that. Now, Paul did eventually make it all the way to Italy and to Rome, but he went there as a prisoner because he appealed all the way to Caesar, and so he went in bonds to Rome. But the furthest that he went in his missionary journeys was all the way to Corinth, And he points that out to them and says, did I come all this way to get to you because I hate you? Isn't it because I love you? Isn't it because I care for your souls? I'm not here building on some other man's work, some other man's effort. They are. They're coming along behind me now that you are already converted to Christ. And they're telling you something beyond what I have said. And they're saying that you've got to do more than what I said. And in so doing, Paul says they are taking you away from the simplicity of Christ. And I think we can apply that today. It's very easy to apply that today to the church world that has taken the message of the gospel of Christ, the simplicity and the grace of Christ, believing on Christ is sufficient to get you eternal salvation, and yet there are people who will come along and say, yeah, that sounds good, but you also have to do stuff. And then they'll give you their list of stuff that you got to do. And depending on which church you're in, the stuff you got to do changes and sometimes the rules become so arbitrary that it's things like white shirts and black ties for the men or always skirts for the women or don't smoke or don't gamble or don't go to movies or don't just their list of rules because they essentially don't believe that simple faith in christ is enough that's not sufficient You have to have faith in Christ and believe in his goodness and his grace. And you got to do something. And so that's what was going on in Corinth. And one more time, again, just like the Galatian letter, Paul is not going to hold back. He has hinted at it through both of these letters. But it's almost like he was waiting until he got to this point And then he's going to address this. Now that I've addressed everything else, now that I've addressed the people in your congregation that you're going to have to deal with, now that I've dealt with uh, the issues of giving and support of the ministry and all that, now that I've got all of that covered, he's now going to lower the boom. And he's going to say, these are false apostles. Now, there are some commentators and even some uncommentators. (laughs) There are some folks who say, I even laughed at that. I made me laugh. (laughs) There are some folks who say that chances are likely that chapter 10 forward in the book of Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, actually constitutes what would have been the fifth letter that Paul wrote to Corinth, because it just suddenly takes such a jarring turn, and it just suddenly takes on a new topic, just boom, boom. But what you'll notice is that when we get to the end of chapter 13, Paul includes sort of an official closing to the letter. And so that gives evidence that probably he meant to include this. He may have just written it on a different day and gotten up and said, oh, yeah, and another thing. I've been waiting to get to this. And he calls out the false apostles, and he calls out the Corinthians ...for their willingness to follow these false teachers... ...because there is responsibility to be had. And it's a responsibility that that I continue to wrestle with... ...and have for many, many years... ...that there are so many people who continue to follow... ...demonstrably false apostles and teachers and preachers in the church. And that amazes me. I think that congregations need to hold their pastors accountable... But apparently, that doesn't happen in most churches. And as a consequence, pastors, preachers, teachers, guys in pulpits can get up and say just about anything, and people will believe it. You know what I'm talking about. There are wild things said on TV every day. You can tune in and see something that you have to ask yourself, is that even biblical? Where do you even get that? Where does that come from And then the camera will move back and you'll see all these people sitting there ingesting this debris. And I just wonder why that is. It has to be because of their genuine biblical ignorance, but also because of their lack of genuine faith that Christ is sufficient if they genuinely believed that faith in Christ was sufficient for their eternity and for their salvation, they would never allow these guys to lay all that stuff on their conscience. And then they go out and try to accomplish whatever those rules are. And you can't do it. I'm here to tell you right up front. You can't do it. And so what do people do? Well, they act like they're doing it when they're in church around the other people who are also trying to do it. But then when they get on their own, they don't do it. They don't follow their own rules and laws. They just put on the good face of religiosity whenever they're around the other people who are under the same bondage they're under. And I can think of so, so many examples But if Christ is completely sufficient, then you have the freedom to be yourself around the other people who believe that Christ is sufficient and you're willing to admit that you're failing at the law, that you're failing at goodness, that you're failing at your own consistency and that you are, in fact, depraved. And and as Jeremiah says, that your heart is, is desperately wicked and who can know it? And you agree with what the Bible says about you and then you recognize the complete and utter need of a savior who is completely good and completely holy and completely righteous, who can then impute all that righteousness to you so that you stand before God perfectly cleansed, perfectly righteous, not because you didn't wear pants to church, you women. I'm talking about women in that one. That's, that's a women thing. But it's not that you're going to heaven because you achieved perfect righteousness. It is the simplicity of Christ. And that's what Paul is so upset about, that these false apostles have brought in a false teaching. Here, let me give you some idea really how upset Paul is about this as he begins his defense. Go to chapter 11 for just a moment. Chapter 11, verse 13, well, let's start at verse 12. What I am doing, I will continue to do that I may cut off opportunity from those who desire an opportunity to be regarded just as we are in the matter about which they are boasting. By the way, that word boast right there, 29 times that word shows up in this letter. 29 times it's really Paul calling out this this boasting that people have where they boast about themselves instead of boasting in God in all the other Pauline epistles he only uses that word 23 times combined across all the epistles. But in this letter, it just keeps coming up because these people are arrogant. These people are boastful. These people are trying to lift themselves up so that they can bring followers to themselves. And they're riding on the back of other men's work. So what does Paul say about them? Verse 13, for such men are false apostles. Now, they're not just false because they're telling you something above and beyond what Paul has said. He says they are deceitful workers, so they are liars, and they are disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. For him to go that far is to make it obvious that they are not apostles of Christ. If they were apostles of Christ, they would preach the gospel of Christ, but that's not what they're preaching. They're purposefully and deceitfully working among the Corinthians in order to bring people to themselves. And then Paul compares them and says, and no wonder for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Paul just equated them with Satan because as he keeps saying, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. And he's going to talk about the weapons of his warfare and that the weapons that he utilizes are spiritual weapons to the pulling down of strongholds. So he's not concerned with the image of any man, whether they're a good orator, whether after the flesh they look good, or whether they can draw people to themselves, because the Greco-Roman culture was very steeped in and really appreciated great oratory and great education. And so Paul is arguing that these men came to you with flowery speech, and they knew what they were doing. They were just drawing you away from what I've already taught you. And in so doing, they are drawing you away from Christ. And that's not just a human mistake. That is satanic. That is devilish. Because they are drawing you away from the only hope you have. Go down a couple of verses to verse 19, Paul says, for you, and then he says sarcastically, being so wise, because Paul's sarcastic. I just want to point out that that is a good and godly quality, okay? What, I'm alone up here? I'm okay with that? For you, being so wise, bear with the foolish gladly. Now, he's called them fools now. These are fools foolish people because they're taking you away from the simplicity of christ verse 20 for you bear with anyone if he enslaves you do you see what paul is saying that by drawing you to themselves rather than drawing you to christ by boasting in themselves rather than boasting in god they are enslaving you to their rules to their ideas to their standards But wait, he doesn't stop there. For you bear with anyone if he enslaves you, if he devours you, if he eats you up, if he ransacks your houses, if he picks your pockets, if he takes all your living away from you. You put up with that. But wait, it gets worse. If he takes advantage of you, Isn't that something we all hate to have happen? Don't you hate it when you realize that somebody just took advantage of you? You were trying to be a nice guy. You're trying to be a nice person. And then you find out that they just stole from you. Or they just hoodwinked you. Or they just pulled a quick con on you. Well, he says that's what they're doing. They're coming in and saying they're apostles of Christ. But they're conning you in order to bring followers to themselves so that they can devour you. And look at how Paul sums it up. If he exalts himself, that's the key thing. That's the key thing. Ask yourself when you listen to any preacher, any teacher, anybody talking about the Bible, anybody on YouTube, anybody typing on Facebook, ask yourself, who's being exalted here? Because unless they're exalting Christ... They're telling you something that is deceptive. And Paul's argument is, it's not just humanly deceptive. It's not just a a mistake. Oops, they made a mistake and exalted themselves. He's saying it's demonic. It's the way Satan works. Because Satan lifted himself up in pride and said, I will be worshipped. I will put my throne in the place of the north. I'll be worshipped like God. That is always a satanic activity that draws people away From the simplicity of Christ and draws you to worship or to adore or to pay reverence to someone else. So what does Paul say about that? If he exalts himself, if he hits you in the face. What? What? Paul is now using a euphemism for what they're really doing to you. What they're really doing to you is slapping you in the face. How many of you would put up with somebody walking up to you? Jean-Tou, go slap somebody. No, not quick to do it. How many of you would put up with that? You'd be deeply offended if somebody just hauled off and gave you a good whack in the mug. You'd be really upset. Whack in the mug was the phrase (laughs) I went with. Somebody walks up, just gives you a good Bam! That is so offensive. Paul says, that's what they're doing to you. They're taking you away from Christ. They're drawing you to themselves. They're boasting in themselves so that they can exalt themselves. They're taking advantage of you. They're devouring you. They're slapping you in the face. And yet, remarkably, Paul says, and you put up with that. You put up with that gladly. You bear with that gladly. Why? because they look good or they speak well or they're convincing in their speech look at verse 22 this gives you some idea who they are he says are they hebrews so apparently the false apostles are hebrews that have come from jerusalem Very much like the Judaizers to the Galatians. So there appears to be a group that is following Paul around. Paul is on his missionary journeys establishing churches. And as soon as he has done the work and established the church in Christ, in the simplicity of the message of the grace of Christ, as soon as he has established them and moved on to the next place, as he goes on establishing other churches, there are people who come in behind him, apparently Jews who come in behind him and say, well, that's fine, that's good, but you need this. You also need my prayer cloth for $20. I'll mail it to you if you call now. You also need to to do some things that I'm going to prescribe for you. You also need to keep some part of the law. You need to tithe. You need to keep some Sabbath. You need to, whatever it is, no matter how religious sounding, As soon as they start imposing something and say, Jesus saves, and, well, then the thing that comes after and is devilish. If they say, Jesus saves, but you gotta, they've already missed the Pauline message. Because the Pauline message is, it's Christ. It's Christ. It's Christ. Amen. So now you can go back to chapter 10. Because Paul is now going to say, I can come at you hard. I can come at you and and use the authority that Christ has given me. And I can be harsh. But because Christ is meek, and because Christ is gentle, I'm planning to come to you in gentleness and meekness. But if I have to, I will clear this place out. My dad used to, one of his favorite threats when we were driving on the road was, I'll stop this car. And we all knew it was time to shape right up. Sounds
0: familiar.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Because dad actually would stop the car. My dad used to be able to drive 70 and hit somebody in the back of the station wagon at the same time. It It was an astounding ability. Well, Paul's saying the same thing. He's saying, I'm coming in meekness, I'm coming in gentleness, but if I need to, I'm going to lower the boom on you all. So now I, Paul. The fact that he says, now I, Paul, and the whole rest of the letter is obviously Paul line, is one of the reasons that some commentators say that this might be the beginning of a new letter, a fifth letter. And it might be that because it was copied and copied, it was just simply appended to the end of 2 Corinthians. But as I said, I I think Paul just simply got said what he wanted said, and now he's going to be really, really corrective. And he's going to admit right off, okay, my appearance, I get it. My appearance is nothing special. I get it. And then he's going to say, as far as my speech, yeah, my speech can be unattractive. But Christ chose me. Christ gave me the message. I came all the way here to plant you as a church. Why aren't you listening to me? So he says, now I, Paul, myself, urge you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. The reason I think he uses two words there is because the meekness usually speaks of a frame of mind, an attitude, whereas the gentleness speaks of a behavior. The way he was going to behave among them was gentle. And whenever I read the word meekness, I have to stop and think about it because Moses is said to be the meekest of men. And yet, when you see the things he did, the way his temper flared up on him, the way he lost the promised land because he struck the rock a second time, the way that he took the Ten Commandments written by the finger of God and threw it down on all of them and broke the tablets while yelling, hear you, rebels! We don't think of that as a meek man. But what the word essentially means is it's somebody who's under the control. It's somebody who's bridled. It's somebody who's whose personality has been brought in and conformed by God, by Christ. And so he's obedient and he's kind because of his obedience, but he doesn't lose any of the temperament because the same Christ that is being called meek here is the same Christ who cleared out the temple by making a scourge of cords and whipping people with it as he overturned tables and scattered animals. That doesn't seem meek. Not the way we think of meek. But though he had that kind of power and that kind of authority, though he said, I can call legions of angels down to protect me, nevertheless, he submitted himself for the Father's sake so that he allowed himself to be beaten, so that he allowed himself to be mocked so that he allowed himself to be crucified, that's where the meekness and the gentleness comes in. But no part of his personality, no part of his power and authority disappeared. He had all that. It was just under control. And so Paul says, because Christ was that way, and Christ had mammoth authority, because he's that way, I'm going to be that way. Now I, Paul, myself, urge you by the meekness and the gentleness of Christ, I who am meek when face-to-face with you, but bold toward you when I'm absent. So Paul's going to start drawing the contrast. He's going to say, my letters are weighty, and even his critics admit that his letters are weighty. But then they say, but you know, personally, look at the guy. He's really not got much going. He's got a great face for radio. It's a good thing that he's writing letters because, man, he's just not much to look at or listen to. And look at me. I look great, and I'm speaking great, and I have great elocution and great eloquence, and so listen to me. Don't listen to Paul. I who am meek when face to face with you, but bold toward you when absent from you. I ask that when I am present, I may not be bold with the confidence with which I propose to be courageous against some who regard us as if we walked according to the flesh. Okay, here we go. Paul is arguing that he has the authority, he has the boldness, and he's coming there to confront the false apostles. But he says, I hope, I ask that you're going to be so obedient. He's going to bring that up. Their obedience to him and to his gospel. He's hoping that they are going to be so obedient that he doesn't have to yank out that kind of boldness. He's got it. He's got the authority directly from Christ. He can pull it out any time, but he's asking that they don't make him do it so that he can be kind when he's with them. I ask that when I am present... I may not be bold with the confidence with which I propose to be courageous against some. He's coming there to lower the boom on some people. He's coming there to clear out the false apostles and confront them. And he asks that the church be obedient so he doesn't have to be like that with them. Who regard us as if we walked according to the flesh. Now this, there are several levels to that, several layers to it, and Paul's going to unpack them as he goes through these next four chapters, kind of like peeling back an onion. But apparently one of the criticisms that they made of Paul, that these false apostles made of Paul, was that he was just kind of walking in the flesh. And what, he's asked you for money now, for an offering that he's supposedly going to take to Jerusalem? Maybe you don't want to do that. And I'm trustworthy, I'm good, I'm strong, I'm good-looking, I speak well, you can trust me. But Paul, Paul's kind of walking in the flesh, and on top of that, there seems to be an element where he is saying, because he's going to argue it in a minute, where he's saying, I admit that my flesh is weak. I admit that I'm nothing to look at. I admit that my speech is is difficult to listen to. I admit all that. I'm a really weak, unattractive guy. I get it. But my authority doesn't come from my flesh. My authority doesn't come from how I appear or how I speak. My authority comes from Christ. And so those people who are saying I walk in the flesh are basically arguing that I'm trying to appeal to you based on my own good looks and my own strong speech and I'm not I'm appealing to you because of the power and authority of Christ that's my, my authority and Paul is even going to continue to argue you know this weakness of mine you know this lack of good looks of mine you know this This speech of mine, you know, this unattractiveness of mine. He's going to argue, God did this to me. God continues to to beat me down and give me a thorn in the flesh that I had to go and ask three times that he'd remove it. And he said, my grace is sufficient. He has to conclude that, you know, God is doing all this to me so that I don't get raised up in pride because of the greatness of the revelation that's been given to me. So he's even going to take the thing that they're criticizing, his appearance, and turn that on its head and say, my appearance is part of what God is doing through me so that God gets all the glory. I ask that when I am present, I may not be bold with the confidence with which I propose to be courageous against some who regard us as if we walked according to the flesh. For though we do walk in the flesh, he's admitting I'm a fleshly human being, I do walk around the planet in the flesh, but we do not war according to the flesh. This is where he's going to say the weapons of our warfare are not those carnal things. It's not about how good I look or how well I speak. It's about the Spirit of God working through me and the Spirit of God converting you and tearing down the strongholds. And I think when he's referring to the strongholds and the fortresses, he's talking about the the theology that these other people have set up, that you've been so entrapped by, that you've been so convinced by, that you've been enslaved by. I'm going to tear down that stuff by the Spirit of God. And by the truth of the word of God. And by the scripture of God. Those are my weapons. My weapons are not carnal. My weapons are the power of God. For though we walk in the flesh. We do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh. But divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. Okay so. How many folks through the years, I had to decide whether I was going to wander down this left turn for just a moment. How many folks out of like the word of faith or the name it claim it groups, or how many have heard that phrase, the tearing down of strongholds, as if what that means is you've got to have enough faith in, in you, faith in faith. You've got to build up your faith until you're tearing down demonic strongholds. And there's a lot of people nodding. I don't think that's what paul is talking about you can see that's not the context the context is the false prophets the context is the false prophets who are leading the church astray and enslaving people to themselves and i think those are the fortresses those are the strongholds that paul is talking about that through the power of god and through the word of god he's going to tear down these edifices that have entrapped people So he says, the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. As a consequence, I can't help but conclude that the only thing that's going to tear down the edifices of false religion is proper biblical, faithful preaching of sound doctrine. It's the only thing that can do it. You're not going to be able to do it after your flesh. I see people all the time who see, let's just pick a name arbitrarily, a Benny Hinn-type person, and they say, well, look, he's rich, he's got a lot going, apparently that's what you do, and then they become little Benny Hins, they become little Hinnites, and they go out, and they do the same routine, and they exercise the same Folderall that Benny does because they're part of that ongoing duplication of false religion that is out there like a stronghold and I wish that that we could just tear down those strongholds I wish that we could yell loud enough to tell people that's false that's taking you away from Christ that's doing what Paul said it's slapping you in the face that's entrapping you to the snare of the devil But no matter how many times we yell it, we're not going to make a dent in it because it's strong, because it's a fortress, because it's an edifice. So Paul says the only thing that's going to bring that down is the truth. Just keep saying the truth. Just keep telling the truth. Just keep preaching the doctrine. Just keep putting the word of God in front of people and that tears down strongholds. Verse 5. We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. And we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. I can't even tell you how many years I heard preachers misuse that text and say that Paul took every one of his thoughts captive. To Christ, and now you have to do the same thing and it used to scare me because I knew that I had plenty of random thoughts. I had plenty of thoughts that i wouldn 't want to share with you. I had plenty of thoughts that I thought that 's not captive to Christ. What am I thinking about that if i 'm sitting watching a a movie or a TV show and i 'm thinking about that movie or the plot or the or the dialogue, at that moment, I'm not taking every thought captive. But look at the context. Again, that's not what Paul is saying. Paul is talking about the pulling down of strongholds and the destroying the speculations of the false apostles and tearing down every lofty thing that is raised against the knowledge of God that is being done by the false apostles, and he's going to take every thought every thought that they're delivering, every idea, every speculation that they're saying, and he's going to take all of it captive to the obedience of Christ. In other words, he's going to confront what they're saying, every thought they have, every speculation they have, and he's going to hold it against the word of God. And say, if the word doesn't say it, then it's not right, it's not true. And you can be as speculative as you want. And plenty of people are. All over the internet, all over the TV, all over the radio, there are plenty of people speculating. Paul says, I'm going to take it all captive to Christ. If Christ didn't say it, if Christ didn't teach it, if it doesn't lift up Christ, if it doesn't glorify Christ, if Christ is not the end result of what they're doing then I'm going to hold it captive and I'm going to compare it to what the word says. I believe that's the proper context. We are destroying speculation and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. And we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. And we are ready to punish all disobedience Whenever your obedience is complete. So he's expecting that the obedience of the church in Corinth is going to continue and continue to be perfected until it reaches the point of completion, where let me explain what that completion would look like. It would be actually taking everything they say, everything they do, everything that they are participating in as a church, bringing it all into the obedience of Christ. And once they're doing that, their obedience is complete. But Paul says, at the same time, I'm coming and lowering the boom to make sure your obedience is completely to Christ. At the same time, I'm going to punish all the disobedience. And actually, the word in the Greek is avenge as much as it is punish. Sometimes it's translated avenge. I'm coming to avenge Christ by the people who have taken you away from Christ by teaching you all kinds of religious all that have nothing to do with Christ and that have become lofty things raised up against the knowledge of God. I'm here to teach you God. I'm here to teach you Christ. I'm here to teach you the grace and sufficiency of God in Christ and everything that comes against that, I'm willing to go head to head with and avenge Christ so that you can know the truth, so that your obedience is complete. Do you get it? Yes, sir. Paul's being rough here. Paul is just throwing down the gauntlet. He's saying, bring them on. Bring them on. The false apostles, let's see what they got, because what I got is the power and authority of God. What I've got is the word of God. What I've got is genuine apostleship right from Christ. What do you got? starting at verse 7 You were looking at things as if they were outwardly So you're looking at the flesh you're listening to how people speak you're looking at how good they look or how many people agree with them You're looking at things as if they were outwardly If anyone is confident in himself that he is Christ then let him consider this again within himself That just as he is Christ, so also are we. It's pretty clever. (laughs) It's pretty clever. Paul is saying, okay, anybody who claims that they belong to Christ, these false apostles, anyone in the church, anyone claiming they belong to Christ, if you really belong to Christ, then you would have to admit that what I'm saying is true, and you would have to admit that I'm also in Christ. And you would have to admit that I'm sent by Christ in order to teach you the gospel of Christ. And all those that belong to Christ will admit that. Because the false apostles are not going to admit that. The false apostles are saying, nah, he's not that great. He's in the flesh. He's weak. I'm strong. I can lead you from here. Sure, he laid a foundation, but I can pick it up and run with it now. Give me the ball, coach. Put me in. I'm ready to go. You are looking at things as though they are outwardly. If anyone is confident in himself that he is Christ, let him consider this again within himself, that just as he is Christ, so also are we. For even if I should boast somewhat further about our authority, which the Lord gave for building you up and not for destroying you, I shall not be put to shame. Look at what Paul said. He said, I've got the kind of authority that you can't imagine. I've got the kind of authority from Christ that if I were to unleash that kind of authority, I could really call you out. The same way that the the letters I write are weighty and corrective, I could come to you with that kind of authority, but I don't want to. I want to come to you in gentleness. I want to come to you in meekness. And the reason that Christ gave me this authority is for your good, for, your, for building you up, for establishing you. But if I gotta, I'll do it for the destruction. I'll do it for the tearing down. Because I will not have Christ belittled, and I will not be put to shame. And these false apostles are trying to put me to shame. And they're saying, I'm not the apostle of Christ. And they're saying, I'm not the one who built and established this realm that you are in, that I am not the overseer of the churches, and that what I have taught you is the gospel truth. They're trying to put me to shame. And Paul's answer is, I'm not having it. I will come with the authority Christ gave me if I have to. But he gave it to me for your building up. For even if I should boast somewhat further about our authority, which the Lord gave for building you up and not for destroying you, I shall not be put to shame. For I do not wish to seem as if I would terrify you by my letters. I do want to be meek. I do want to be gentle with you. I do want to guide you along in kindness and grace. I do. (sighs) But you're disobedient. And your disobedience causes me to continue to send these weighty letters and to be corrective with you. Let me see if I can put it this way. My dad, I'm back to talking about my dad because it's Father's Day, so I'm making another dad comment. My dad was a strict disciplinarian. But he used to say to me, and this always made the discipline worse, he would always say something to me, on the level of, uh, well, here's here's one of dad's speeches. Son, you know, I work all day. I work hard. My days are long. I want to come home and see my wife and eat a meal and have my happy children around me and hear how wonderful you all were all the day while I was at work. And I come home, and I've got to hear your mother saying that you did something so terrible that now I have to hit you. I don't want to hit you. I want to come home and be happy. But you've wrecked my day. I have to come home now and beat you. I don't want to do that. I want to come home and just be happy dad. Now I'm taking my belt off. (laughs) My dad was a strict disciplinarian. But he would always add to the pain by saying, I don't want to do this. I have to. You're making me do this. Well, that's Paul's argument. Paul's argument is, I want to come to you in meekness and gentleness. I want to come and just be instructive and bring you along in the things of God in Christ. That's what I want to do. But you're continuing in your disobedience. You're continuing to follow these false apostles. You're continuing to listen to somebody who looks good or sounds good. And you're continuing to listen to them as they berate me. And I'm not going to put up with it. And I'm not going to be ashamed at their hand. So if I have to, I'm taking my God-given authority and I'm coming at you hard. For even if I should boast somewhat further about our authority which the Lord gave for building you up and not for destroying you I shall not be put to shame for I do not wish to seem as if I would terrify you by my letters for they, the false apostles say his letters are weighty and strong but his personal presence is unimpressive and his speech contemptible Is that the way you think of the Apostle Paul? Because he's going to agree with that. I heard a preacher one time years ago say something that, that I've just kind of never forgotten, so I'm going to bring it up again today. He said, whenever people criticize me, I just thank God that they don't know the whole truth. In other words, yeah, I'm not great looking. Yeah. My speech is contemptible. But even they have to admit that my letters can be terrifying. And if I have to be, though I'm contemptible of speech and unattractive as a person, if I have to be that same authority that I utilize in my letters, I can pull out that authority anytime in person. I don't want to, but I can. So he says, for they say his letters are weighty and strong, but his personal presence is unimpressive and his speech contemptible. Well, let such a person consider this, that what we are in word by letters when absent, such persons we are also indeed when present. You get that? If they think that my letters are impressive, but I as a person not that impressive, Let them consider that the same guy who wrote those letters is the same guy who can pull out the same kind of authority right here when he's present with you. I can act the deeds that I write in the letters. And you don't want me to do that. You don't want me to start disciplining the church. But I can They say his letters are weighty and strong, but his personal presence is unimpressive and his speech contemptible. Let such a person consider this, that what we are in word by letters when absent, such persons we are also indeed when present. For we are not bold to class or compare ourselves with some of those who commend themselves. But when they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves by themselves, they're without understanding. Okay, so apparently that's their modus operandi, that they compare themselves with themselves. They're not comparing themselves with the power and authority that Paul has. They're not comparing themselves to godly standards or Christ-like standards. They end up comparing themselves with themselves. And you can find that on the TV. I know you're tired of me saying it, but come on. You can find it any day, every day on the TV or on the Internet. People who have forgotten what the standard is, and so they end up comparing themselves to themselves, and then they have something to boast about. Mm -hmm. I'm better at this today than I was yesterday. Watch me go. Well, you're not the standard of comparison. The Word of God is the standard of comparison. The Word of God has the authority The apostle that Christ sent to the church at Corinth, he has the authority. And when they compare themselves to themselves, they're just ignorant. They don't have any understanding. So Paul says, but we will not boast beyond our measure. But within the measure of the sphere which God apportioned to us, as a measure, this is what I was talking about in the introduction. Paul is making reference here to the sphere of his influence, ranging all the way from Judea. If you look at the, at the maps in the back of your Bible, let's do that. Turn to the back of your Bibles. You've probably got a map there of Paul's missionary journeys. And if you just look at it and think that he didn't have trains or cars or planes or, and that he traversed all of this territory by foot, it's a tremendous amount of territory. Starting in Judea, down there by the Mediterranean Sea, up through Tyre, through Damascus, up into Syria, up into Cappadocia, through Derby, through Lystra, through Iconium and Antioch, that then takes you into Mysia and Asia. You'll see Bithynia and Pontus up to the, the north and east. Of that, where he essayed to go, but then God wouldn't allow him to go, and he got the Macedonian call come to Macedonia, so clearly God is giving him an assigned portion that he has to go to it 's an assigned region or domain that God gave him. He goes up through Mysia and Troas, and then he 's up into Thrace, Philippi and Neapolis, Amphipolis is all up in there, and then he 's into Macedonia. Berea and then look you go south from there and you finally get all the way down into Achaia and into Corinth and on your maps of Paul's missionary journeys that's the furthest he gets. So knowing that that he has come a tremendous distance to get to them he's going to talk about the region that God has given him over which he has authority over the churches back to 2 corinthians 10 he says we're not going to boast beyond our measure but within the measure of the sphere which god apportioned to us as a measure in other words i'm not going to brag about some other man's work i'm not going to brag about thomas in india because i didn't go to india But, okay, other disciples have gone other places. Other apostles have gone other places. That's not what I'm talking about. I have the weight of the authority of the care of all the churches. On top of all the beatings I've taken, on top of the shipwrecks, on top of the starvation, on top of all of that, I have the care of all the churches within my sphere. And if I'm going to boast at all, I'm going to boast Not outside my measure, but within the measure of my sphere, because I have done this. I've come, look at the last sentence, I've come to reach even as far as you. That's my sphere. And then he says, for we are not overextending ourselves as if we did not reach to you. In other words, I'm not bragging about places I haven't actually been. I'm not boasting about places I haven't gone. I'm not building on any other man's foundation. But I have suffered. I have paid the price. I have taken the beatings and the stonings and the shipwrecks. I have suffered the hunger. I've gone through all of that for your sake and I reached even to you. Therefore, I have the authority over you to expect you to pay attention to what I'm saying and if some man comes along that looks better or speaks better but says something I haven't already said, teaches some different gospel, some different Christ, some new legalism you rush to him so quickly, you put up with him so beautifully and why would you do that? You've been removed from the simplicity of Christ and you're mine, you're the church that that i came all the way to you should be paying attention to me paul argues for we are not overextending ourselves as if we did not reach to you for we are the first ones to come even as far as you in the gospel of christ see that i'm the first one i'm the first one who brought you the gospel I'm the one who took the beatings. I'm the one who took the stonings. I'm the one who went through the hungers. I'm the one who brought the gospel to you. And now you're so quickly removed because some better looking, better speaking guy comes along and he tells you things that are contrary to what I've told you. He's slapping you in the face. For we are the first to come even as far as you in the gospel of Christ, not boasting beyond our measure, that is, in some other man's labors, but with the hope that as your faith grows, we shall be within our sphere, within our sphere of influence, within the area that God has given us us authority over. We hope that as your faith grows, that within our sphere will be enlarged even more by you. So Paul wanted to go even further than Corinthians. He wanted to go further than Achaia, and he was expecting the Corinthians to help him do it. And as you can see from your map, he didn't get any further than that. That was the limit of his sphere. Why did he want to go further? Verse 16 so as to preach the gospel even to the regions beyond you and not to boast in what has been accomplished in the sphere of another. So listen to what he's really getting at here. He's saying this sphere, including you, because I've come all the way to you and I've paid a high price to get to you, You are part of my sphere given to me by God. I have the authority and the care over the churches within my sphere. But these false apostles, they don't have that authority. They're building on another man's work. I brought you the gospel. I'm the first one that brought you the gospel. I'm the one that established you in Christ. I did all that, and they come along behind me after I've done all the conversion work. They come along behind me and say, now listen to me. But they didn't bring you the gospel. They didn't bring you the gifts. It wasn't under their preaching that you spoke in tongues or had any miracles of healings or saw any of the gifts of the spirit that Paul lists to the Corinthians. They didn't receive that from the false apostles. They received that through the ministry of Paul because Paul has the authority. I want to preach the gospel even to the regions beyond you and not to boast in what has been accomplished in the sphere of some other, but he who boasts, let him boast in the Lord. That's the only boasting that Paul would allow. If you're going to boast, don't boast in yourself. Up here, he said, they compare themselves with themselves. They measure themselves with themselves. They boast about themselves. He says, if you're going to boast in the matter of the gospel, since this is the Lord's work, he gets the glory. He gets all the glory. Next week, by the way, I'm headed for Texas. Barney Johnson will be standing here next week. And I'm going to be teaching on Wednesday and Friday night. And because this is the 500th anniversary of the Reformation, Roger Skeppel and I are going to be teaching on the five solos. I let Roger pick. I said, you pick the ones you want. I'll do the others. So he left me with, by grace alone, which is right in my bailiwick, I was like, really? I get my grace? Okay, fine. And I get to close Friday night with God's glory alone. And the more that I consider that, and the more that I've been working on my notes, and the more stuff I find in the Bible that says it repeatedly over and over, God's glory alone. God gets all the glory. God is accomplishing what God is determined to accomplish. And he's accomplishing the salvation of his people. And therefore, if you're going to say something good about Christianity, if you're going to say something good about salvation, it certainly can't be something you say about you. Or else God doesn't get all the glory alone. You you give God most the glory, and then you add your two cents. God saved me. Christ saved me. Christ died for me and paid my sin debt. But you know i chose or i exercised my faith or i i did something i went to the right church or i i have a perfect attendance record no it's real simple if you're going to boast about anything it can't be about you you have to boast in the lord because he's doing all the work he gets all the glory he is the instigator. He's the one who planned this. He's the one who's accomplishing it. He's the one who is exercising his almighty power to bring it to pass. And he's the one who is working all things for our good. He's the one who sent his son. His son died to pay our sin debt entirely and completely so that we can stand in front of that thrice holy God and be accepted so that for all of eternity we are in the place where there is eternal joy, where there's no more sickness or death and God wipes away every tear. What do what you do in that equation? Nothing. nothing. You did nothing. So what are you going to boast about? What are you going to go, yeah, but me? Yeah, well, Ch- arms akimbo. Yeah, but me? Big S on my chest? Me? I... <laughs> the big S on my chest stands for sinner, in case you... <laughs> there, I saved that. Last verse... For not he who commends himself is approved. Remember earlier, he said they measure themselves by themselves. They compare themselves by themselves. For not he who commends himself is approved, but whom the Lord commends. So Paul's drawing the distinction between the false apostles and himself. He's saying, I was sent here by God in Christ to teach you the gospel. I'm approved by God because he sent me and I'm boasting in God. Those, those who come to take advantage of you, those who come to enslave you, those who come to slap you in the face, those who are demonically inspired, you can tell it because as soon as they start boasting, they don't boast in the Lord, they boast in themselves. I just thought of 18 examples in my head, but I'm just going to leave it to you to figure out for yourself. Just listen to people talk. When people are talking about Christ, when people are talking about religion, what are they boasting about? The Roman Catholics will boast in the church, in the authority of the church, in the power of the church, in the power of the priest. That's why you've got to go confess to a priest. That's not boasting in the Lord. That's not confessing Christ. Most religion boasts in your works. You've got to do enough good works. And after having done enough good works, then God is going to reward you for the good works that you've done. That's standard Mormonism or standard Arminianism. All of those things, you you turn on TBN and you see people say, you have to give to my ministry. God is going to bless you if you give to my ministry. Well, that's boasting in himself. I'm the important one. I I can count several churches through the years that were so personality-driven, so personality-centric, that when the person at the top of the pyramid scheme, because that's really what it was, but when the person at the top died, the church would fold up. Now the current trend is to make sure that your son takes over so that you keep it in the family. Yeah, you all thought of three people right away, didn't you? Because that's the current trend is to think this is about me. It's about me. It's about my family. I built this church. I created this ministry. If I die, then that ministry has to go down or I'm going to turn it over to my son or somebody in my family so that we can keep the ministry in the family so we can keep the paycheck coming to our family. It's me. It's about me. It's about me boasting in me. And Paul says that's what the false apostles are doing. You can listen to them talk and you can figure out what they're about. Are they glorifying Christ? Are they steering you toward Christ? Are they boasting in God? Are they giving all the glory to God? Paul argues I am because I'm weak and my speech is contemptible and I'm nothing to look at. But you know from my letters how much authority I have and I still have that authority and I'll yank it out if I need to. And that will take us to chapter 11 a couple of weeks from now. So I'm going to leave you hanging right there. You'll just have to remember that Paul is throwing down the gauntlet. All right? Questions? Do you kind of like Paul's boldness? <laughs> I do. I, I kind of like that Paul stands up and says, these fakes aren't getting away with it. All they're doing is slapping you in the face. Since there are no questions, say goodbye to the internet congregation.
0: Goodbye! (laughs) Thank you for listening to this Sunday morning message from Grace Christian Assembly. Please visit our website at salvationbygrace.org. And join us next time when we gather around the Word and study God's sovereign grace.